growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If we don't care, if we don't even notice what's going on around us, then we're going to miss a lot of what God would desire to do through us. What is the kindest thing you have ever done for someone? Uh, like give, giving people rides before or taking meals to somebody when they're sick or giving somebody gas money when they were down on their luck or things like that. We can probably all think of a few things we have done for people. Perhaps a better question would be, what would you be willing to do for someone to help bring that person to Jesus? How far would be too far as far as what I would give, what I would do, what I'd be willing to, uh, to give up or whatever when it comes to helping someone come to know Jesus. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue our series from the book of Mark today, we come to chapter 2 and the story of a paralyzed man who needed to come to Jesus and four friends that were going to do everything they could do to make sure that happened. In today's message, Pastor Clay is going to show us what it took for these men to do what they did. We're also going to see the result of their effort. It's a great story of compassion and determination. So thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Is real action hero? Right, right. Not just little doll up here. <laughs> hey, did, uh, did you all see that uh, that mess down in Atlanta this week? Traffic mess down in Atlanta this week because of the the weather. That was awful, wasn't it? Did, uh, tell the truth. Did it bring back some memories about Raleigh a couple years ago? <laughs> y'all remember? We kind of went through the same thing. The whole country laughed at us because we. Got like a spattering and, and traffic jam backed up and stuff. Man, it was a mess. But it was like in down Atlanta, it was like three days of this. You know, the, this, the people stuck out there and traffic backed up everywhere and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if you watched, followed any of the stories on the news, but uh, there were several uh, stories reported of uh, people doing acts of kindness for people out on the interstate. Uh, folks were, were sharing food and, you know, fruit and bottles of water and things like that. People were even coming out to the interstate where these people were, were stuck for, you know, a couple of days. Some of them were out there that long. I remember uh, I read or saw this one story, and I don't know if y'all saw this or not, but about a, uh, a mother that was trapped there on 285 or somewhere there in Atlanta uh, with, her, with her baby, her newborn baby. And uh, she had no diapers left and was down to like one or two bottles. And there was, there was, no, there was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. They were just trapped there. And, um, you know, I guess due to modern technology and her, her cell phone, somehow she posted on Facebook um, her situation. And uh, somehow a couple uh, saw this posting on Facebook through some connection or whatever and uh, the the husband had been in the traffic mess, but he only was only stuck a couple of hours. So he apparently was close to home or whatever. So he only stuck a couple of hours. So he got home, and uh, his wife saw this this uh, posting on Facebook, and so he and his wife uh, bundled up and trekked out apparently quite a long ways, and it took quite a long time. They hiked out uh, to the interstate to the, apparently. The, must have given the woman's approximate look. Anyway, they found this lady with her with her child, and uh, and took her and took her back 
to their home, hiked back to their home where they provided shelter and warmth and, and food and, and all that sort of thing. And the, the news picked up on it. It was a day or two later. And uh, the news media had like reunited this lady with, with this couple. And it was just remarkable. I mean, this lady just just could not stop crying, just tears just streaming down her face uh, as she tried to express what it meant to her that these two virtual strangers would, would do such an act of kindness for her. And it got me thinking uh, about, about me and, you know, my life. And, and so I pass it on to you and I ask you, uh, you know, you can kind of just kind of think about what is the uh, kindest act you have ever done for a person? What is, the, what is the kindest thing that you could think of that you've ever done for, for a person? Uh, and I'm sure if we, if we sat here and thought about it long enough, because I was kind of thinking, man, have I done anything nice for anybody? <laughs> if, we, if we sat here and we, and we thought uh, for a little bit, I'm sure we could probably all come up with things uh, like give, we've given people rides before or taking meals to somebody when they're sick or, or giving somebody uh, gas money when they were down on their luck or Things like that. Hopefully, we could all think of some different uh, act of kindness that we've done for some person at at some time uh, in the past. I, I, I washed a guy's uh, truck. I washed a neighbor's truck uh, one time, and uh, as far as I know, he never even knew that his truck had been washed. So I don't I don't know what that says for my car washing skills. <laughs> I guess uh, another question to ask would be this. What is the kindest? What is the nicest? What, what is the greatest thing that you would be willing to do for another person? And I'm referring specifically in the context of in helping that person come to know the one that we sang so gloriously about, so beautifully about this morning. What, what would you and I be willing to do? How, how far would be too far as far as what I would give, what I would do, what I'd be willing to, uh, to give up or whatever, when it comes to helping someone come to know Jesus? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark. We are working our way through that book. We're early on in the book of Mark, but this morning we're in Mark chapter 2. Going to be reading verses 1 through 13, then we're going to break those verses down. And we're going to look and kind of try and answer that question from the perspective of four guys that helped out. And we're, and we're going to share four words and then talk uh, some about that this morning. Thank you so much for honoring the Lord by coming into his house today and worshiping. You know, there's this story in the Gospels where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go out. Go out into the highways and the hedges and the byways. He said, and compel them to come in that my house may be full. There's something about a full house that I believe honors God. Mark chapter 2, you have honored him by being here today. I pray that, that God's word would speak into your heart and your life, that you would be open and receptive to it. Block out all the other stuff that might try and rush in today and, and, and steal your attention away or, or whatever else. And focus on what God would say to you from his word today. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When he'd come back to Capernaum uh, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening 
they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Don't you love that? (laughs) Y'all ever had anybody reason in their heart on you? (laughs) But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up. Pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And he went went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. Father... Thank you so much for your word, which is truth without any mixture of error, is able to do surgery on our hearts and our lives. As the writer of Hebrews proclaims, it is your word that is able to surgically cut out of our lives the things that don't belong. And Father, the truth is, there are things in our lives that don't belong. Maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's apathy, maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's lust, maybe it's greed, maybe it's a a lack of concern. For others, maybe it's a, a unwillingness to express love. Maybe it's just a lot of stuff that can be in our lives. Your word has the power to cut that out, to remove it, and to sow into our lives what does belong, namely the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Father God, uh, it is your word that has that power. I am honored, as always, to be your messenger boy today, to get to deliver your word and the words that you've laid on my heart, and I pray that they would be acceptable in your sight and that that they would be profitable for the people who will hear this message today. Thank you for each and every person who is here today. Most of the world, not even just this country, probably most of the world or a good part of the world will be consumed with the Super Bowl uh, this evening, And, and games and stuff are fine, Lord God, but but today... This is the opportunity we have to gather as a body and worship the God who is truly super. The God who truly is the real action hero. And so uh, may you accomplish your purposes in each of our lives today as we look at Mark chapter 2 and verses 1 through 13. In Jesus' name I'm asking this today. Amen. Let's start. uh, Let's start with this word. Let's start with this word. Involved. Care for them. In uh, beginning in verse 1 through the first part of verse 3, it says, uh, when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard uh, that he was at home. In other words, people in the area in Capernaum found out, hey, Jesus is back in town. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer a room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And then verse part of verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic. Capernaum uh, was a, a town, a 
city, a village, uh, in the northern part of Israel, up in the Galilee uh, region. And uh, it became basically the base of operation for Jesus when he was working in that area. When he was in, and most of his ministry took place in, in northern Israel, around the Galilee uh, region. Uh, Capernaum became kind of his, his home base. And as you might well guess, word spread like wildfire that the new rabbi was, was back in town. I'm sure it did every time he came back in, but, but like wildfire, it spread that the, the, the new rabbi here, and this guy is teaching like nobody else teaches, and this guy is healing uh, the sick, and this guy is casting out demons, and this guy is, is doing all different kinds of, of miracles and working in all, all different uh, dramatic ways and all this kind of stuff. Word got out in a hurry. And so everybody, as you can guess, everybody is rushing to, to hear what he has to say and to see what he's going to do. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of that, as we read that, we get this story. And of all the people he's healing and the, the demons he's casting out and all this stuff, uh, Mark focuses in in this part of, of uh, chapter 2 on the story of this paralyzed man. We don't know how long he'd been paralyzed, but this paralyzed man who no doubt almost certainly had been that way for a very long time. And what I want you to see as we, as we begin to talk about this morning is that it started with this idea that somebody, somebody cared. Somebody uh, cared enough to get involved in this man's life. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't know uh, what their relationship was, the, these four men that we're going to read about. I don't know whether they were friends. I don't know if they were family. I don't know if they were neighbors. I, I don't know. But what I know is that they, they were willing to get involved in this man's life. They were willing to take on where this guy was in his life and the need that he had. And what always has to begin with in any circumstance, in any situation, if we are going to actually be used by God, we have to begin to care. This is, this is critical as we start 2014 that we get an idea of how much we have to care. One of the things that we like to do around Cross Culture, uh, we've been recording uh, some of y'all's own uh, testimonies, uh, what we're calling our stories. And they're posted on our website We've got a new banner out there uh, that, that directs folks that they can go and listen to our stories. Because, listen, this, y- y'all know this, right? I- y- y'all know this, but this isn't just about getting together for uh, an hour or so on Sunday morning, right? Y'all could, there's probably other stuff you could do. This is about uh, what God would do in our lives and how God brings about change and what God does in people's lives. And so we've been recording some of these hour stories. Uh, here's what I want you to see this morning. I'm originally from Canada, and my parents used to take us to church every week, and I was baptized when I was 14 years old. Um, And I I would go to church a lot. Again, I still didn't have the feelings I get now at church, feeling like I belong, but I used to go to it a lot. But then, you know, college came around, and I I met my ex-husband, and he did not believe in this church thing at all. So I didn't go to church for 30 years. In 2010... uh, the church had a thing on the very first day of school where they were giving out these bags and these cups and they said sign up to be adopted as a teacher. So I was like, oh, what the heck, I'll sign up for this thing. And so um, the first thing that I got, I remember it was at Halloween and I got these little presents and they weren't like the usual, just a single little candy bar, like it was nice stuff. And I'm thinking, who are these people that they're giving me nice stuff? And so then the next thing came, and it was Christmas, and I got something else, and 
the presents kept getting better. And uh, meanwhile, my youngest daughter had gotten engaged. So we were looking for someone to marry them because we weren't a member of a church at all. January rolls around, and I somehow remembered cross-culture, and I contacted Clay and said, would you be able to marry my daughter and her fiancé, even though they don't go to the church? And he said, yeah, they have to go to um, some course for premarital counseling, I guess it was. And uh, so I asked my daughter, and she said, sure. So my daughter started going. So then I started thinking, I'm like, okay, Clay's going to be marrying them. It's going to be really embarrassing if the first time I meet him is at Julie's wedding. So I thought, I better come to church. So I came one day, and I walked over to Clay, and I, hi, I'm Linda Roscoe, and uh, uh, you're marrying Julie. He goes, oh yeah, how are you? And I came and I sat down. I, I was really impressed with the service. It was totally different from anything I'd ever gone to before. And so I went two or three weeks and then, you know, life comes along and uh, I don't feel like going. And so I missed going one week. And I get an email from Clay. And the email says, we noticed you weren't at church. I hope everything's okay. Please let us know if there's anything you can help us with. And my heart just stopped. I'm like, somebody in this world cares about me? Somebody I don't even know cares about me. And since then, I've found so many people that care, cared about me. Um, my life group, you know, you can say they're like family. They're not like family. They are family. They do things for me more than my own biological family would do for me. It's just, um, I feel so much love. I've never felt this love in my life like I do now. I'm not the same person I used to be, not even close. I don't even recognize the person I used to be. Um, I've been through a lot of really bad times, um, and people from cross-culture just came right in, and they did everything to help me. I remember we sat in my life group, and every single person, 12 people, all said a prayer for me. I, I, I couldn't survive. I can't even see my life anymore without following Jesus. That, that's the honest and honest truth. Um, I remember when all this happened, Clay's advice to me was just keep your focus on God. And uh, even at school, things start going bad. Arrows are coming at me from all directions. Those words just come in my head. Put your focus on God. And the minute I do that, everything is okay. Linda had some very kind words to share, and I appreciate her being willing to share that. Um, but what, what I really want you to catch is that idea that, that, that somebody uh, cared. And this, wasn't in, in, uh, this part wasn't in the video, and I don't know what all was in the recording, uh, but I know that Linda has told me before uh, that, um, that for 20 years she didn't really have anybody in her life that, that cared about her and the impact that that had when cross-culture began to, uh, to minister uh, to her. So, folks, that, that's what we're talking about, is that there has to be this desire to care about people and, and, and to, to draw them in to what God would desire to do in, in their hearts and in their lives. Uh, some, some of you ha- have heard me say this uh, before, uh, but I am of the belief that, um, that if we don't care, if we don't if we don't even notice what's going on around us, then we're going to miss a lot of what God would desire to do through us. For about, I, I lose track of time, quite honestly, but for about the last three or four years, uh, something like that, uh, we, have, um, 
we have had the seven challenge sign out in the uh, lobby uh, area. Be honest with you, it's, it's getting kind of beat up. It's uh, splintering some places. Probably the wood splintering probably could could stand some some repainting and that sort of thing. Most of you probably walk by it every week and and pay little attention to it, quite honestly. Um, but I, I refuse to take that board down uh, until God tells me to take it down because uh, one of the primary purposes for the seven challenge is to increase our burden for those around us that do not know the Savior. I, I signed that board the, the day we put it up. I signed it, put my name on it, signed it. And the reason I keep continuing to ask you all that if you haven't to sign it, to take one of those cards. And, and the reason I ask you to do it is because, because if, if we don't care, I'm telling you, if we don't care, nobody else is going to. Everybody's wrapped up in their own lives. Everybody's busy doing their own thing. And what, as I said, one of the primary purposes of the seven challenge is to increase our burden for the lost, to be able to pray for, for people that we know, to pray for seven people that we know that as far as we know, don't know Jesus. And to pray for those people and to, and to pray for ourselves that God would make us more aware of those around us, it, it adds to this burden that I think we should feel, that this care that we should have uh, for people around us that may not know the Savior that, that we know. It starts with a willingness to get involved. We have to care for them. Here's a, here's a second idea this morning. Invest. We have to bear them up. Verse 3. I read part of it. Let me read the whole thing to you again, though. Um, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Like I said a moment ago, I don't know who these four guys are. The text doesn't tell us how closely they were related to this guy, but I'm almost certain that they had some relationship with him. They were a neighbor or they were a friend or they were family members. Then somehow uh, they cared about this guy and they cared about this is the nat- this folks, this is the natural this is the natural conclusion to caring. If we if we care and we get involved, then the natural transition is for us to invest in their lives, to bear them up in, in all of their mess and all of their struggles and all of their hardships and all of their whatever it all is that they may go through, that you and I are willing to bear them up. These guys, if they, if they take the time to do this, listen, because here's the deal. It's not, they, they just don't feel, they just don't feel bad for the paralyzed guy. They don't just feel sorry for the paralyzed guy. Hey, listen to me. They don't even just pray for the paralyzed guy. They get up and they take action. They get up and they begin to do something. They get up and they invest in this guy's life. And listen, if they do, it's probably going to cost them something. Jesus is the hottest ticket in town. Everybody wants to hear what this guy has to say. Everybody wants to see what this guy is going to do next. And if they, if they take the time to pick this guy up and his blanket and his, you know, where, where his whole life existence is, if they take the time to, to do all this and bury him up, people are probably going to be passing him left and right while they're carrying this guy. If there's a possibility they may not even get into the house because they're taking the time to invest in this man's life, to not just care about his situation. But to get involved, and when you get involved, it means that you're going to invest in that person's life. Hey, listen, do you know this? Life can be messy, right? And people's lives can be messy. And those people that you and I know that don't know Jesus, as far as we know, they've got mess in their lives too. They've got all kinds of messy stuff. And, and 
Investing in them means that we're willing to bear them up, to pick them up and in their messes and do whatever we can to carry them to Jesus because that's, because that's, that's, that's what we do. I, I didn't ask uh, Linda's permission this morning to show that Our Story video. And I, I, uh, she loves to record it and I, I figured she was okay with that. I, I didn't ask Monica Torelli if I could talk about her this morning either, but, uh, but I am. Monica and her, and her kids have been attending Cross Culture probably for a couple of years now. I don't know, something like that. And I about a year and a half ago, uh, we found out about a, a family, uh, in the, uh, their daughter attended the high school. Uh, her name was Chelsea, and the family was struggling. Uh, the dad had lost his job. They were actually living in a, in a motel, and, uh, and we helped pay for their motel for a few days. And uh, they just they, they didn't know what they were going to do, whatever. And, and so finally they had to make the decision uh, to move. And I think it was to Texas. Was it Texas, Monica? Was that where they moved? I can't remember. I, th- I want to say that it was like Texas. They had, where it was they, they had to move. Well, their daughter, Chelsea, was in her senior year at Lee's World High School. Now, I, I, don't, I, I didn't even ask. Like I said, I didn't ask Monica this. this but if I, the best I can remember, I don't think she even knew this young lady at all. But Monica heard about it, and Monica said, Chelsea can come live with us. I'll take them in. And she did. She, for over a year, I don't know, a year, a year and a half, Chelsea uh, lived with Monica and, 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 and her children. It, that's what I'm talking about. It's that, it's that sometimes you've got to invest, you know, and when you invest in people, it's going to cost you. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your energy. It'll cost you emotionally. It, it may cost you financially. But, but it, that's what you do. If you really care and you get involved, then you've got to invest at some point in somebody's life, in somebody's mess, in somebody's issue, in somebody's problem. And you've got to try and, and bear them up. You've got to try and pick them up and say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do all I can to help them come to know this one who so radically changed my life. We've got to invest. I, I'll tell you something. One of the things that I, that I hope in 2014 that we can get up and running here at Cross Culture I mean, it's really, uh, I, this is a prayer of mine. And in 2014, we can get uh, something up and running that, that I call our invite and invest uh, uh, reach out uh, strategy. It's, we've talked about it some in the past, but let's be honest with you, we've had very little luck at getting it up and going. Invite and invest basically works like this. Uh, we, we, we're asking you, every person who's a part of cross-culture and attends cross-culture, to invite someone to come to church with you, to come to cross culture, to invite them to come and then to invest in them by taking them out to lunch, telling them that you'd like to take them out to lunch afterwards. And in the invitation includes invitation to church and the invitation to lunch. Now, the, the, the lunch thing has, has a couple of advantages to it. Uh, number one, it, it, it acts as a better hook, quite honestly, than just inviting them to church. Um, there's something about, you know, inviting them to a meal that kind of makes it more legit. You know, it's like, oh, this, this is a real invitation. He's not just trying to get me to come to church. It's like, this is legit. This is a real invitation. Uh, so there's something about that. Also, taking them to lunch afterwards gives you the opportunity to, to further cultivate that relationship that you have with them. Maybe they're a neighbor. Maybe they're a coworker. Maybe they're a family member. But sitting down and having a meal together, a chance to talk and, and share some of your life with them and share some of their life with you, maybe even share your, your story of how Jesus has changed your life and the difference he's made in your life, it, it can have that benefit of building that relationship. Third, it can also act uh, because you can ask them, you can say, what, what do you think of cross-culture? What do you think of our, our children's ministry? What do you, what do you think of the, the service, what do you think of kind of, which provides valuable feedback to us. 
but to invite them and to invest in them. Now, if you do that kind of stuff, uh, I, I know it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost. It's going to cost them. And I don't, I don't stand here. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for asking you to invest in people's lives in that way because that's, that's, just, how, that's just what it, the deal is. That's just how it works. That we have to, uh, we, we can't say we care and not then be willing to invest in them. But, but I want you to know something. And this is, and I, I still don't know this have to work out, but, but I, I, I'm so serious about this. And, and I know that it can get you, if you start, some of y'all probably got a lot of people that don't go to church, right? If you start thinking, thinking about how many people that I work with or whatever, don't attend church, you can probably start naming a lot of people. And if they started responding and they started coming, you think, wow, that could, that could get expensive. I, listen, I know it could. And one of the things I, I'm going to ask the elders about is maybe the possibility, could, could we take some of the money that we spend on some of our big ticket events? I'm not saying those aren't necessarily all, uh, that they're not good. I'm just saying that that maybe we could take some of those resources and perhaps even reimburse you some for some of your expense. If you got people coming and, you, and, and you're going to carry them out to lunch, and you're going to do that, that kind of stuff to invite and to invest in their lives in a way that that relationship uh, hooks up and, and, and becomes more solid. Now listen, here's why I'm, I'm not just trying to blow smoke. Here's why this is important. I want you to see this. I'm reading, one of the books I'm reading right now is uh, Wayne McDill's uh, book, uh, Making Friends for Christ. Been reading. Uh, uh, Wayne McDill was my preaching professor at Southeastern Seminary, and he was actually working on this book when I, I did a doctoral class uh, a few years uh, later. Uh, I did a doctoral class with, with Dr. McGill, and he was working and researching uh, for this book right now, and uh, we had some interesting conversations in there. But in the book, uh, Dr. McDill uh, brings out a survey that was conducted. And I want you to listen to this a survey that was conducted. This is why this is so important this invite and invest thing did a survey, and not a small survey, okay, 10,000 people. They, the, the guy, he names the guy that did the survey. 10,000 people were surveyed, interviewed in this survey. And the question basically was, what brought you to Christ? What got you coming to church and eventually got you, became an active participant in the body of Christ? 10,000 people. You ready? Let me show you some statistics. Here's the way they came out. Six percent listed the pastor as the primary reason that they had started coming and had, had come to Christ. So, good for him. Five percent, five percent said Sunday school or, or small group. That it was because of, of that that they had started coming. Three percent were walk-ins. In other words, they saw a sign out on the road or a commercial on TV or however it was. They just, they're new in the area and they, they just, three percent walked in. 3% came because of, of a program that, was, uh, that you're having. Maybe it was a special, uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, it was some type of program that the church was having. 3%, now remember, 10,000 people surveyed. How did you come into the church, get plugged in the church, and become a part of the body of Christ? 3% said it's because of program. 2% said because there was a special need in their life. Maybe they had, uh, they had, had just or were going through a divorce. Maybe they had lost a loved one. Uh, maybe the financial crisis. But some sort of special need that kind of uh, drove them to the church, if you will. 1% said because of visitation. In other words, the church sent people out, knocked on doors. And, and because of 1% of the 10,000 people said, yeah, that's how I started coming. And one half of 1% be said because of evangelistic crusades. One half of 1% said, you know, they attended some crusade, they came to Christ, and because of that, they came to church. Now listen, I'm not saying 
that any of those aren't valid and that every one of those percentages of people that came to Christ, praise God. But you want to see the next statistic? 79% of those 10,000 people interviewed said that they, that they came to church and got plugged in and became part of the body of Christ through a friend or a relative. 79%, ladies and gentlemen. Now listen. <laughs> when I think about in the churches that I've, that I've been a part of in the past and churches I've been on staff at and churches that I've pastored, when I think about some of the, the uh, evangelistic programs and training and stuff that we have done in the past, I'm not saying it's bad, okay? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we, I mean, evangelism, program called Evangelism Explosion. That was the, that was the favorite child for years, Evangelism Explosion. And, and then there was Share Jesus Without Fear. And, and then there was Faith. And, you know, we, all these different programs, these extended, long uh, evangelistic programs. And we did short-term uh, uh, programs. We did things like track training where we teach people how to, how to go through and use a track. We, uh, we did uh, acrostics uh, like the ABCs of salvation. A, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. C, if you confess with the mouth Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Just ABC, walk him to Jesus, ABC. Uh, we've done the Roman road where you, you walk through Romans 3, 23 and Romans 6, 23 and Romans 5, 8. And, you know, we've done all this. Listen, when I think about, because I'm just being honest with you, all right? I'm being as real as I can be right now. If it's out there, some type of advanced program, or try, we've, we've, I've probably tried it at some point. And, and looking back, and a lot of this took place in, in that doctoral class I was in where Dr. McDill challenged me to do this. Looking back, uh, I can't look at any discernible difference that it made in the church as far as increasing attendance or increasing the number of baptisms in our, in our church. I couldn't see any discernible difference that it made. And again, I'm not saying that necessarily doing those things are bad. I'm just saying at what point do you begin to recognize if 79% of people said that they came to Christ because a friend or a neighbor or a family member invited them to come. Now, let me tell you what that means. Can we, let, me just, let me just make you feel a little... Statistically speaking, that means if you have a family member that's lost, doesn't know Christ, you have a neighbor, you know, then you have a great relationship, and, but as far as you know, they're lost. Statistically speaking, if you do not impact their life, they'll probably die and go to hell. And, and, the, and the exact same thing is true of me. If 79%, I mean, you got to do the math. So it, it goes back to this idea of caring. And some of you know, and I, I should have said this earlier, but some of, you, some of you have heard me say this before. I am of the belief that evangelism is more caught than it is taught. I'm, I'm not saying those programs aren't good. I'm just saying that if we care... We'll get involved. And if we get involved, we will invest in people's lives. I'm asking you to consider doing that, to invest in your neighbors, invest in your, in your coworkers, invest in your family members. Because you and I are the ones that have to reach them. Signage, okay, good. We, we need it. We got it. We have to do that. Mass mailers, maybe there's a place for some of that. We've done some of that. But ultimately... And listen, can I say this? It, there, there's a renewed sense of excitement in, in, around cross-culture in 2014 about the, the people that we're going to reach. I've had a number of people uh, talk to me openly about how they're feeling uh, about how, what God wants to do through cross-culture church and the people God wants, wants to reach. And people are openly talking about what all some strategies we can do. And what all, listen, and all of that is great. And all of that is fantastic. But it has to begin with, with us giving a rip 
and then being willing to give a rip so much that I'm, that I'm okay that if it costs me something, if I have to invest in somebody's mess, if I have to invest in somebody's life, if I have to invest in them to bear them up, to pick them up, whatever I have to do, that's what I'm going to be willing to do. Care for them, bear them up. Let me give you a, another word this morning. Uh, intentional. Tear through obstacles for them. Verse 4. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. <laughs> I always wonder what the owner of that home thought about, about their evangelistic strategy. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, but God alone. Immediately, Jesus, aware in the spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about those things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. That's what you want me to say, guys. That's what I'll say. Pick up your pallet and go home. Logistically speaking, sure enough, it happened, just like you imagine what happened. They get there, and they can't, not only, they can't get in the door, they can't even get near the door. There are so many people gathered around, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus, uh, seeing what else going to happen. Forget about it. All those people that ran past them while they're bearing the, carrying this guy along, when nobody else cared about him, but these four guys got involved, and now they, can, they, they, wanted, they wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. Now they can't even get in there. Well, that's it, I guess, guys. Sorry, Francis. We tried. Hey, listen, you know, uh, maybe if Jesus comes back around uh, again, uh, maybe, we can, maybe we can go back. Not these guys. Not these guys. I, I don't know what it was about it, but they would not take no for an answer. They would not let anything stand between them and getting their friend to Jesus even if they had to tear the roof off the place, which is, of course, exactly what they did. But they were not going to let any problem, any obstacle, anything hinder them from the task that they felt burdened to do, which was to get this guy to Jesus. They were going to accomplish that task. They were going to to get there. Hey, listen, besides the logistical issues, okay, besides the logistical issues, you got the problem with the religious guys, Right? Now, we know that Jesus is not going to let the religious guys keep him from doing what he's going to do in this paralyzed man's life. But the sad reality is, religious people can be an obstacle to people coming to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Right? Some of y'all have heard me tell this story, and I, and I told it without ever really, I don't know that there even is a way to confirm it. I've, I've heard it for years, and and passed on, some of you heard me say that it, it is told that uh, when Mahatma Gandhi was a young man, and Gandhi, of course, a religious leader in India, uh, led billions, literally billions, down a path of spiritual darkness, 
uh, that when Gandhi was a young man, that he was interested in Christianity, that he was intrigued by the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ, and he wanted to know no, more about this Christianity. And as the story goes, that Gandhi tried to go into a, a, a church, a Christian church in India uh, one evening, and he was barred from going in because it was a whites-only uh, church. And supposedly, the statement is that Gandhi made, I would have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. I'm telling you, religious people can be an obstacle to people coming to you. I know that sounds weird, but if you've been around religious people enough, you know what I'm talking about. I, I got in a conversation with a guy this week, um, uh, and I started talking to him about uh, cross-culture, because I think cross-culture is just a fantastic church, and I don't want to say it's the greatest church in the world. That might sound like a, you know, bragging or something, but I, I just think this is a great church. I think y'all are great people. I think y'all, y'all are on mission and, and that what we're trying to do honors God and glorifies. So I started talking about, to him about cross-culture. Now, it turned out that this guy and his family already had a church that they attended, but he said something that was very interesting to me. Um, now, he didn't know, uh, and some of you may not know, but at cross-culture, we, we, we are connected to the Southern Baptist Convention. We affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention. We give to the, what's called the cooperative program and the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offer. We give to those kind of things that help put missionaries on the field. More than 5,000 missionaries serving internationally and uh, somewhere around 5,000, 6,000 serving uh, in North, North America. That's made possible through the cooperative efforts of those churches. But he didn't know that we were connected to Baptists in, in any way. And uh, so he tells him about his other church. And then just out of the blue, he says, uh, we used to go to a Baptist church, but uh, now we go to this, this other church. It doesn't matter the name. It doesn't matter. He said, now we go to this other church. And then he says, I'm not keen on Baptists. And I, I, said, I said, really? Why, why is that? And again, he, he never asked me. I didn't tell him I was Baptist or anything. You know, I was not going to bring that up since he's not keen on it. But no, he says, he says I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not keen on Baptists. And I said, really, why is that? And here's what he said. He said, he said, I don't know. It just seems like Baptists are more about making you feel guilty. And the church where I go to now is, is more about the relationship. Now, listen, I don't know the whole background story with this guy and that church and what all's going on in his life or what that church was like. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I certainly know that guilt is a part of conviction and conviction is, from God is necessary for repentance, and repentance is necessary to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They're hand in glove, two sides of the same coin, repent and follow. So, uh, so understanding the weight of sin, understanding the consequences of sin is important. Understanding the righteous standard of God is important. But I'm going to tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, when people communicate, when we engage in people's lives, they, may, they, they should know how we feel about what God's Word says about issues or whatever. But they, what, what they ought to receive from us is love and compassion and concern, whether they agree with us or not about our standard. Because, because they very well may not. But they should know that we love them and we care for them even if we don't agree with them. Those obstacles, there are obstacles that come in our way. And whatever all those obstacles are to a person coming to Jesus, it shouldn't be me. I shouldn't be the obstacle. The, listen, the gospel, the, the great news of Jesus is, is 
as Jesus called it, it's a rock of offense. It's a stumbling block. People will stumble over the fact that they can't save themselves. They'll stumble over the fact that they're not good enough. They'll stumble over the fact that they must humble themselves and acknowledge that only God is capable of saving them from their sins. Plenty of people will stumble over that. Plenty of people will find that an obstacle. They shouldn't find me an obstacle. They shouldn't find you an obstacle. We face plenty of obstacles in this, in this, this calling to, to engage the world for Christ. There, we, we face plenty of obstacles. Not the least of which, I'm afraid, at times, our lack of concern on our part or, or fear on our part. And the greatest cure for all of those things is to care so that we're willing to get invested in people's lives and that we're willing to tear through whatever obstacles there are because there are always going to be obstacles. As I said last week, it would be absolutely foolish to think that there's not a spiritual enemy that you face in life. And whatever all Satan is about... He is not about people coming to Jesus, okay? Y'all probably know that. But if you don't think there's obstacles and that the enemy will throw up obstacles along the way to keep you from being part of this kingdom work, all right, which we'll get to in just a second, but part of this kingdom work, if he can keep you from being part of, if he can discourage you, if he can make you fearful enough, if he can have somebody laugh at you, if he can, if he can get you rejected, if he can, whatever, whatever he does, those obstacles. The question, we come back to this question, what's the limit? How much am I willing to do? How far will I go to try and help a person come to Jesus? Am I willing to tear through those obstacles? They were. They were. Let me give you one more uh, this morning. Include it. Share the joy with them. Think of the joy at that scene that must have gone on. Oh, listen, before we go, I I should say this too. I, I need to... I've thrown religious people under the bus. I didn't need to do that. Before we go to that, let me just say this about those religious people back there in the house with Jesus. It's important to understand, they were theologically correct, right? Only God can forgive sins. So they were theologically correct. The problem was they were spiritually closed and they were compassionately cold. They, they were closed off to the idea that Jesus really was the Messiah, and that if they, if they were open and truly looking for the Messiah, they, they would have said, well, let's, let's just see if he has the power to do this. Because if, if he has the power to do this, then that's pretty good evidence that this guy may be the Messiah. And if they gave a rip at all about the paralyzed man, they would have been excited to see what he was going to do for him. And I did want to say this, by the way. Jesus, Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And some Bible commentators believe that, that this man's par- paralyzed condition was a direct result of some sin that he had apparently been involved in, and because of it, he was paralyzed. I don't know that you can state that emphatically or not. I don't know if that's, that's true or not, but this I do know. All sin and disease, uh, all, all death and disease is ultimately a result of the sin curse. All, all of it, whatever, whether it's a heart attack or cancers or, or all of it ultimately is a result of, of the sin curse. And by declaring that by declaring your sins are forgiven, Jesus was notifying the people of the real reason for him coming. Remember I said last week, all those people he healed, they're just going to get sick again. They're just going to go blind again. They're just going to die again. No, it's not that he didn't care. It's just he came for something bigger. And that was to pay a sin debt once and for all. He could heal over and over, but he was only going to have to pay a sin debt once. And so that's why he does this. All right, include it. Uh, share the joy with them. Look, look at verse 12 uh, and 13 as we close out. Uh, this morning. And he got up and immediately picked, he being the paralyzed man, got up and immediately picked up the pallet 
and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, Jesus did, and all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. Imagine, just, just imagine the joy. I mean, it's not hard to imagine the joy of that paralyzed man. I can't even imagine what it would be like to not be able to walk for even a few days, much less weeks or months or years or however long, maybe from birth. I don't know how long this man's been like this. Imagine the joy that was in his life. But I want you to imagine with me the joy that must have been in the lives of those four men as well. Because listen, listen, they had a part in it. Now, Jesus did the miracle. Jesus did the healing. Nobody's trying to steal any of God's glory. But the, but the fact is God had used these men to bring this, this paralyzed man to him. And they were a part of it. How could you not be overjoyed at thinking, you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah, it was hot. It was sweaty. It was hard. It was, you know, people passing. It was all that stuff. But it was worth it. The joy that they must have felt in their lives. That, that's that's. That's what it is, this idea that we get to share in this joy of seeing a person come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Think about this mind-boggling thought. God uses ridiculously inferior people like you and me to lead people into a relationship with him. A person that, that was deserving of hell, bound for hell, now has an, has an address in heaven and a place at the table of God that God would use, would use me, would use you, would use one of us to do some of the joy that must come in, to, that, that is a part of our lives. So that I was thinking about my brother Sebastian down here this week and uh, William. William's not here today. I was hoping he's going to be, be here today. Y'all, some of y'all may remember William was baptized uh, a month or six weeks ago or something like that. Sebastian uh, baptized him. Sebastian and William are both in the military. And uh, uh, William... Uh, came to Christ as a result of Sebastian's uh, ministering in his life. And if you were here, his, his testimony before he got baptized that morning was just, it was just awesome. It was just powerful. William's leaving. He's, he's, he's going to be stationed, I think it's in Texas. He's uh, leaving. This, this is would have been his last uh, Sunday here. So I was hoping he was going to be here, but he was coming from Greensboro. Y'all, some of y'all don't even know. Uh, he was driving from Greensboro. Like Mark and Megan, they drive over from Greensboro. Uh, some of y'all come a long ways. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was thinking about, uh, about Sebastian. I was saying, and Sebastian don't need a lot of help having joy, right? I mean, this guy's like, he's like a joy machine. It's just like joy is just coming at him all the time. But, but think, think about no matter, now we're, no, I don't even know if they'll even have contact anymore, but no matter where William goes, as he continues in his journey of walking with Christ, and, and if you heard William's testimony, you heard him say that I feel like part of my job now is to, is to recruit other people to come into the kingdom of, of God. As that continues on, as William sees other people come to Christ and God uses him, Sebastian still gets to be a part of it. He still gets to share in that joy. And so does cross culture because you invested in William and took time to pour into his life. It's the joy that comes from being a part of what God would do in people's lives. What an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. So, I started out with this question, or somewhere there in the beginning. How much is too much? How far is too far? How far are you willing to go to help be used by God to bring another person to Jesus. My prayer in 2014 is that 
we would have such a burden, that we would care so much for people, that we would take those other steps. Listen, that we would care enough to get involved. And by getting involved, we would bear them up. We would invest in their lives. And that we would be willing to tear through any and every obstacle that comes into that person's life because Satan is going to fight tooth and nail to keep that person from coming into the kingdom of God. And we can give up along the way or we can tear through those obstacles that come our way. If we will do those, and listen to me, if we will do those, if you will do those things, if I will do those things, we, we will share in so much joy around here at Cross Culture that you won't even be able to believe it. We, we, we'll look like the Joker with permanent grins on our face all over the We will see people coming down this aisle, giving their lives to Christ. We'll see our baptismal waters stirred. We'll see marriages saved. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see people delivered from addictions. We'll see, we'll see all kinds of stuff happen. And we will share in that joy in the thought that God would use me. He would use my resources. He would use my time. He would use my efforts. God would use all of that to make a difference, an eternal difference. Not just make somebody feel better for a little while. Not just give them a little bit better way of life. Not just give them enough gas money to get down the road. But to actually change their eternal destiny. How can we not be joyful over the opportunity to do that? And how can we not be willing to care and bear them up and tear through the obstacles so that they and we might share together for all of eternity in the goodness of our Savior. Come on, cross-culture, let's do it in 2014. Let's take it on. Let's say, I'm going to invite, 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 I'm going to invest in them, I'm going to do whatever I can, I'm going to get people to hear my story, I'm going to get people where they can hear the gospel, I'm going to do whatever I can because the glory of God is what's at stake here in their eternal destiny. Care, bear, tear, and share. The first three words describe the level of involvement and commitment the four friends had. The fourth word describes the result. Because they were willing to get involved and invest in this man's life, and because they were intentional about seeing their task through to the end, these four men were included in the joy of the victory that came to the paralyzed man's life. As Pastor Clay explained a few moments ago, Jesus is the one who performed the miracle and brought the healing. But these four friends were part of the work that God did. The application for us is obvious. People without a relationship with Jesus need to be brought to the Savior for healing. God has given each of us who know Him the responsibility of bringing others to Him. As followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to get involved. As Pastor Clay puts it, we have to give a rip that people are lost and in need of the Savior. In 2014, what are you going to do to help bring people to Jesus? We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, We experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross.
cross-culture church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.